Welcome to episode nine of Consuming Jung. I'm Logan, and I'm here again with my friend Tim. Hey, folks. Yeah, this week we read chapter nine, Healing the Split. It was a summary. It's the last chapter written by Jung, and so he kind of tried to tie up all of his ideas, and I think he did so successfully. Yeah, it was really short. It was only like uh, two pages, I think, two two and a, a bit more. Um, but yeah, there's still some good. This might be a, a short episode because there's not much we haven't covered in a way. Although it's almost like I was saying this just earlier to a friend that it's almost you could almost say every section is about the same thing. Uh, and yet you don't feel like you're reading. It's not he's not repeating himself. But he's circling these ideas, and it, it just reminded me of—I think it was the foreword or the, uh, the some section in the very beginning of the book was talking about how um, Jung and people who follow Jung write in this way, where they'll circle these concepts. And so, um, mm -hmm. even though it, it's odd when I'm trying to summarize to somebody else what i read this week i find it difficult to do so even though every time we read a section there's so much to go into so that's a it's a weird paradox um there do you experience that yeah it's you can't possibly capture the depth that he's going to like as an example i'd love to just read the opening paragraph of this chapter to get you know who knows what our listenership mm. is what the context is whether they're reading it or they're just kind of mm. just wanting us to talk about it uh, but for instance, here's the first paragraph. It's <clears throat> our intellect has created a new world that dominates nature and has polluted it with monstrous machines. The latter are so indubitably useful that we cannot see even a possibility of getting rid of them or our subservience to them. Man is bound to follow the adventurous promptings of a scientific and inventive mind and to admire himself for his splendid achievements. At the same time, his genius shows the uncanny tendency to invent things that become more and more dangerous because they represent better and better means for wholesale suicide. And and quote. And it's so dense. There's there's ten ideas in that paragraph. You couldn't possibly uh, kind of capture them all in a podcast or a conversation with a friend who's not already familiar with the subject matter. And it's yeah. beautiful too. You sort of can't even talk about it with how without mentioning how beautiful his writing is, just a pleasure yeah. to read. And I, I do want to point out, I think you misspoke in the beginning, he says, and has populated it with monstrous machines. And oh, what did I, I say? You said, you said polluted. So it's quite oh, a darker tint. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, so he, I, and and just to touch on that, that difference actually, you know, I think he, my impression, and I'm actually curious if you agree with this, my impression is throughout the text is that he's, quite deliberately and even firmly pushing back against modern man's uh, hubris, I guess you could say, but without being too, um, uh, what's the word, without without being too damning, you know, it's not like he's saying reason is, is the enemy. Uh, and so, yeah, there's that, that, that firm, almost like a scolding in a way, but not, yeah, not damning. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, it, I think he there is some hubris, but that makes for a better book. That makes for better reading because if you're constantly hedging your bets and saying maybe and possibly and some would agree, it becomes very dull and tedious to read. So you actually, I would think I prefer a writer to be bold in his claims. But yeah. what's brilliant about it is he's actually able to have the discussion about 
spirituality, I think, although he might even go deeper than that term, spirituality, uh, it seems vapid in comparison to what he's saying. But he talks about, you know, those ideas uh, in a in what feels like a rational way, except for when it gets to the very tip where he like alludes to all that depth, uh, that numinosity. And it, it's it's so respectable. He he's like seems to be a scientist. He understands or rather he's a scientist and a philosopher and a man of God. Like he can sort of understand all of those things and he he seems he to respect them. all of them and, and sort of t- can talk the talk in all those domains. Yeah, yeah, he holds them all simultaneously and it he I guess in a way he's modeling that that you can do that, that one can do that. Um and I think his bearing is impressive enough to kind of sell it uh in a way. I mean it's not only that his writing is it's not only that his ideas are good, it's also that I'm actually impressed by Jung. Um and I think I would be even if I wasn't all because I was already impressed by Jung going into the book. Because as I started hearing ideas sort of secondhand from other public intellectuals um, that originally came from Jung, I was impressed. But I think just the, the, this writing is so impressive that, I, yeah, I, it, it's like I'm more sold on the idea that that a, a synthesis of these big competing ideas, maybe there's more than two, but the big that loomed for me is like science versus um something like religion or unconsciousness um yeah he sells the idea that that the right way the appropriate way is to find a synthesis but almost like i mean he argues it but he also models it i guess that's what i'm trying to say hmm well do you think we know he modeled it if we hadn't seen that interview beforehand with him talking because how would you know he's modeling this from his writing or at least that point is not immediately clear to me well he he's writing very scientifically and academically uh in terms of the claims he makes for the most part although as i'm saying that i do sometimes take issue with how much stock he puts into like second and third hand stories it's one of the small issues i have with the text um, which maybe we should talk about but uh but generally he's pretty i guess rigorous is a good way to to put it and yet his subject is so mysterious and he's not even really trying to get rid of the mysteriousness. He's quite, well, you use the word respectful and I think that's, that's it. Um, and, and then, and then in a few places he, he specifically mentions, uh, God and he, I don't think he ever says like, I believe in God and he, and he but, but he treats the concept as if it's true or at least extremely useful. Um, yeah, I does that answer the question? The way that he writes, you can sort of get through that he really believes this stuff in a way that possibly a postmodernist you can't tell what they think or what they believe because words have no meaning anyways. Mm. Uh he does have um he seems to to talk maybe from experience. In in that way he talks like uh you know, it almost seems like he can deliver this as a sermon. It's not quite to the level of Jordan Peterson. Um, but really it is quite similar. That that's another person that's a philosopher, a religious man, and a scientist mm. all in one. And so you can't really 
beat him down. You can't be the the religious person that says, well, you don't understand, you know, the depths of my soul, or you can't be uh, a philosopher and sort of combat them with like, well, here's the height of reason. Have you considered this paradox in your thinking? And you can't even be a scientist or like beat them, you know, as two egos facing each other saying, well, here's the latest science on, uh, on behavior of animals and human behavior and neurochemistry. He can sort of talk in all those domains because he actually thinks in all those domains. He's not specialized as one, although has reached like clear proficiency, hyper proficiency in all of them. You you don't, you can't write this kind of book without without uh, understanding these things deeply. And that that's maybe more general than what you're saying. I think I'm still kind of re- reluctant to really, even though I actually agree that I think he is this person that does believe in God, but I. I f- feel like I got that more so from that one interview that I saw of him than than this mm. book. Because I think he's actually also a professional, you know, and he's sort of giving it an objective look uh, as well. So it's not him necessarily trying to persuade you that he's great or that he really believes these things, but he's laying out in the evidence in a way that you can only do so if you... Um, had strong understandings of that. Maybe not, not really saying anything at all, but does that, I don't know, are we converging on the same point or are we getting further away from each other? Well, I, I think at least, uh, maybe I was trying to say two things at once. Um, and I think w- you're saying one of those things, which was that uh, he, I, you know, he's impressive in his writing and there's something about how he writes and how he speaks. And I could be also affected by that interview. Um, but um that he he speaks in a way that only an expert can and and you get that impression i think if you're if you're open to it um i think it yeah well i i I, my gut feel is good for him you know for his for his uh (laughs) for his competence but and and how how can you be an expert in wisdom without being wise yourself you don't i don't think you can yeah actually it's an interesting point huh it reminds me of like, uh, I don't know if it's related or an opposite statement or what, but there's the idea that you can't, if you're, if you believe you're wise, you're not wise. Um, I don't know like how to even relate that to what you just said. It just reminded me of it. So, but yeah. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. You can never admit of your own wisdom. That's, right. uh, it's true. Chucks. Huh. And let me tell you folks, I am the dumbest man I know. <laughs> right. That means you're wise. Okay. Right. That's like the, okay. Well, so maybe we can jump into like one of the, the themes of this. Um, sure. I really liked his discussion of, of religion and philosophy and how there's, they just don't work, <laughs> right? Like we have like, here's the answers. The Buddhists say like, you need to follow the, the eightfold path, the noble path, the Dharma, or the Christians will say, well, there are some thoughts that are right and they're virtuous actions. And then there are some thoughts that are are wrong. You're evil to think them and you need to organize your life so that you're constantly, you know, asking for forgiveness for the bad thoughts and, and trying to do good. There's good and bad. They're real. And you might have, uh, well, I wouldn't say atheists have a religion or philosophy. So but you can sort of make similar claims about what they're, that they have some kind of creed. 
Mm -hmm. uh, which is probably just a reliance on science, although that's not really required for an atheist. Like it kind of ends, starts and ends with, I don't think there's sufficient evidence to think God is real. That's it. There doesn't have to be any other beliefs attached to it. But anyways, the point to be made that I, that I think Jung makes here is you still have all these people that are just dissatisfied. Like life is so dissatisfying and frustrating and full of intense suffering for so many people. And these religions, these philosophies, they just don't get you there. Like we can't all be Jesus Christ or the Buddha. Like these beings have transcended suffering and really seem to get it. Like the way they talk and act, they actually seem to get what this is all about what a minority like one in 10 billion maybe I, I don't know what the ratio would be or what a reasonable ratio is but they give us the prescription they say here's what you need to do and that just doesn't seem to work and so you almost can't get it we sort of have proven you can't get there by following what is laid out for you like that's not enough mm. um so yeah so did you get that from this chapter as well well, or I actually interpreted that a little differently. Um, I, when he's talking about that, I interpreted it more that we, it's like, you're, it sounds like you're talking about it more in, on the individual level, where I would sort of argue that, well, there are, I would say a decent number, maybe not much, maybe it's small, but I would say a decent number of people who do find, for example, meaning in Christianity, um, and even even maybe very secular people who find meaning in a in a random universe, you know, for a long time, I was telling myself, like, you know, a meaningless universe means that we can make our own meaning. And that was actually that that honestly was inspiring to me. So but the way I read what he was saying was more that we have societal level problems that that the, the problem is that these different creeds claim to solve them, but they're actually insufficient. So um, Christianity says, you know, um, you follow God, serve God, etc. And, um, and then, but that's not really enough in the modern age. And even the modern mind, the secular mind also isn't enough. Um, and, and maybe we could say it's because they kind of are rejecting a lot of the mystical meaning that, that they could have otherwise. But yeah, I, I I read it in more that he was commenting on the problems we have in society and that these single, these like almost, you could say, single dimensional creeds aren't enough by themselves. Yeah, even though they're quite complex, like the lot you, you say single dimensional. And I, don't, I, right. I think even you don't necessarily mean that because if you investigate mm. any of these things, there there's so much depth, like reading the story of Christ, so much depth, like yeah. talking to a Buddhist is saying that everything you see is an illusion, including yourself to like understand that that's a deep conversation and perhaps a 30 year struggle. Like right. they themselves are really full of, of depth and meaning, but they, they aren't enough for the unserious person anyways. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I, I when I said single dimensional, I, w I was a bit uncomfortable because I don't, they are very complex systems. And I, to say single dimensional is, is a bit uh, too harsh, I would say, but they, but what I, I guess what I should have maybe said is that they're in, they seem insufficient or certainly that's what Jung is arguing here. Then they're insufficient on their own. It's almost like he's implying that 
well, that there needs to be a synthesis. Um, well, although now that I say that out loud, I don't really think that's exactly what he's saying, because he seems to be more saying the answer lies towards these unconscious symbols. And if we pursue those, we'll understand more about where we want to go. Uh, but, I, but I do think part of what he's saying in there is that we have these creeds, and on their own, they're insufficient. There, it gets into, he gets into these things of where he's talking in like magical language. He talks about psychic energy. He talks about being too rational. Um, there's a quote in here, um, like within these religions, uh, I think the story is Christians often ask why God does not speak to them as he did in former days. And then he talks about, well, a rabbi answered the question or replied to that saying, nowadays, there's no longer anybody who can bow low enough. Hmm. And <laughs> I can't really complete the thought, but I think the answer to what we're trying to get at lies in that sentence. What do you hmm. think? Yeah. Well, that, when I read that, it definitely rang true for me uh, in a way. Um, yeah, it's like we, we're too, like, uh, we, we, yeah, so we don't bow low enough. We're too high up. We're, we're too sold on our own story of having conquered nature, which is a topic we can talk about that he talks about here, the whole, the, the hubris of saying we've conquered nature. But yeah, that's how I understood that line, that we look out, on the world as our not only our dominion but our conquered dominion like not even something that we're taking over but something we're, we're sort of already in control of completely and so and yeah and i guess that line i take it to mean we're just not we're not humble enough to actually find god and, and now how you want to interpret that find god bit um i guess i want to flag that phrase because only a year or two ago, that phrase would have really honestly triggered me as much as I hate that word triggered like that, <laughs> that would have kind of triggered me and I would have I would have felt my defenses rising to sort of hold off any kind of woo woo religious kind of bullshit, basically. And I guess I just understand that phrase to I'm more open to that phrase, I'm more open to sort of interpreting that phrase in a way that I'm comfortable with, um, which is maybe a tangent. But uh, anyway, that's how I interpret that that sense we're just too confident in ourselves to really honestly look for meaning around us and i think you're right in that you were saying earlier that jung is talking about on the societal level and that probably is the right level of analysis but on that point like my mind's just been thinking about a, um, a podcast i heard yesterday with naval ravikant one of the best thinkers of our uh, time i would say at least the clearest, and he talks about we have to accept certain lies that you know the individual pays for those lies. So that would be things like money that that's a lie, uh, or that human rights are like inalienable, or that we just have them. That's that's a lie. Uh, mm. That the religions, all the religions are lies. Uh, the philosophies don't get you there. And, and the individual has to deal with the, like the untruths of those and just pretend they don't see the untruths, you know, whether for like 
social programming, social cohesion, usually you're not aware of them. Maybe there's moments of clarity, like, wait, is is this real? Like, what am I doing throwing away my life in pursuit of this goal that is ultimately empty? Like, whether that's pursuing money or even pursuing deep meditation, like, right, you can meditate for 30 years and realize that wasn't the answer either. Like, that's mm-hmm. just what I thought I had to do. I wa- I thought I had to become a meditator. Well, I became a meditator, but that didn't actually get me to where I want to go, which is to no longer feel anxiety, to understand my my purpose here, or just not be so caught up in the in the stress and absurdity of, of my experience. Like, individuals have to pay for that. Um, I'm sort of trailing off here, but I think that I just wanted to make that point clear, but that that's sort of fine. Like that's kind of the bargain we need to have because I also don't want everyone else asserting their individuality and like cursing in the store or peeing in the street or poisoning Hmm. my water and then demanding I pay them money. Like I sort of expect people will toe the line, you know, and sort of, um, repress their individual urge to be a maniac so that (laughs) I can be around them. Uh, So we do have, we clearly want to guide our societies and it's, it's a complex question and it's hard almost to even suggest anything because from where do we suggest it from our rationality, you know, is, is Hume talking about how does, for instance, a society uh, make contact with its unconscious state? You know, if, if Jung is talking about uh, society-wide ideas, then are we, how, how can we interpret his description of, of connecting with symbolism? Because you can only really do that at an individual level, right? Or, 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 can, or is there something larger that we can do? Right. Well, he does say uh, here in the chapter that any, as any, here, I'll just read this bit. As any change must begin somewhere, it is the single individual who will experience it and carry it through. The change must indeed begin with an individual. It might be any one uh, one of us. Um, And he goes on about that for a bit. But uh, I think that's what Jung would suggest, you know, uh, that he would say, yes, we, the society, need to start paying attention to our unconscious and start becoming more comfortable thinking symbolically and even maybe consulting the symbology that uh the symbols that manifest uh but then i think he would say well to do that like the the mechanics of actually doing that today is that individuals have to do it that gets into uh, my immediate thought is and hopefully you can help me out of this is um so when jung describes we need to become more attuned with our unconscious and pay more attention to symbols. What I worry about is that sounds utopian. And we, what we want to build is systems that can survive and maybe even get stronger uh, while accounting for like the worst intentions or the worst behavior for mankind. So for instance, capitalism is a system that everyone can behave selfishly and that actually leads to a stable society. Whereas communism relies on people's better nature and so as soon as someone doesn't like put in as much work as they should or just kind of like give me more give me more give me more like hey we're all sharing and i i have a high need it it very quickly falls apart and then you need like totalitarianism you need people that are being accused of thought crimes you know against this beautiful utopia to get it going and so i worry 
that Jung is talking about a system that falls more into kind of the communism type level of thinking where it relies on good intentions and that is always going to fail. Like, do you, would you disagree with that or what, what do you think about that? Well, I guess um, I would agree if I got the sense that Jung is, uh, let's say, building a society with this as the premise. But I, I don't really get that impression. I get the impression more that he's saying, um, if we are to understand our, our nature, then we, then we all, or maybe just a, a, enough of us anyway, have to um, just do that on an individual level. And we need to start exploring this. And he does say it's, it's already begun, which to me, is, it's the kind of thing a utopianist maybe wouldn't say you know to a utopian it's not good enough until you get there and then you never get there and then you get into um totalitarianism and stuff um but yeah i guess i guess i'm comforted because he doesn't i don't get the sense he's saying this is a solution to everything so much as he's saying like this is where we need to look for the answers to to these pressing questions that's good yeah it it doesn't quite get me i think so he's writing a book, so he is doing something that has societal change, but it is sort of hard to ch it's sort of hard to describe that system that's not parsed at the individual level. It's something that, you know, I think postmodernists they they urge strong societal change about our biases and things like that. Maybe I'm confusing something else with postmodernism and the philosophy and, and sort of the social justice movement. Um, but it's always parsed at the individual. And what more can we do than kind of create the right incentives for people individually to act correctly? Mm. So, so maybe he is doing a successful job by, by writing a book and making the argument that will be wide read. Right. Right. Well, shucks. Yeah. Do you want to move on to another topic? Well, I just, I just want to say it's interesting that postmodernism is coming up um, in the discussion because I don't even think that was a term in Jung's time, or if it was, it certainly wasn't um, the, the mammoth, uh, you know, cultural force it is today. Um, but even so, he's, and I don't, I don't, also don't think he uses the word postmodernism, but he's basically, he's, he's making the argument here, which is the same argument that I think is postmodernism's good point. You know, I, I don't like postmodernism, but they make a good point, which is to say that we can't be certain of anything anymore. And I and he keeps it seems to me he's keep not he's nodding to the same concept, especially when he talks about, well, both religion and science, although I think he hits it more with science because it, it's almost like he feels like that's what he needs to tell us. Uh, it's like we already actually know that religion doesn't offer certainty. Um, the, the, the secular modern, the typical secular modern man already knows that. But he's also saying that about um, science. And. Um, so that, that's just an interesting point. But uh, but other than that, we can move on. Did you have any thoughts about that? Just you got to give the devil its due. Like, mm. I don't think postmodern. I haven't actually heard anything from postmodernism that's new, which makes me think I, I obviously haven't studied it. I haven't taken deep time to fully flesh it out. But the idea to doubt everything, that's been around for hundreds of years. Mm. Um, there seems to be some kind of new, maybe it's just the, the, the fashion of our of the philosophical um the philosophers of our time which is why it seems dominant now um i think the the new bit is like 
we we it was already wise perhaps and good advice to doubt everything but i think what's new is po with postmodernism is there's now a realization that it's it's more than just wise to doubt everything it's actually stronger than that it's actually that certainty is unattainable it's like we'll never actually be certain not only should you doubt everything like once in a while you know in your 20s and then go back to certainty it's like actually don't be certain of anything it's impossible we can't prove anything except maybe yeah. I think therefore I am, but then you can't actually go anywhere from there. And I don't even know. I, I've heard that that's even not provable, although I answer <laughs> that. I don't know. Oh, brother. That's, yeah, I'd like to read those arguments. Okay. Well, let's leave it at that. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's too philosophical. <laughs> um, well, we, I think we really want to talk about the how powerful we are now. Do you think we've fleshed that out, or do you want to say more on that topic? Yeah, you and I, Tim, we're pretty powerful. Um, you know, I think we should I tell feel... people how powerful we are. No, sorry, that was a uh, uncharitable reading. Yes, so the idea here that Yun has brought up is that we've become, and this is an idea you hear more and more, uh, just when people start talking about existential risks to human, uh, to human life, it's not about what happens to us anymore from something else. It's usually about what we do to ourselves. And the idea that Jung says here is that we're, we've become so powerful with our scientific mind, uh, but our wisdom hasn't caught up, or at least that's the way I'd phrase the point he's making there. Um, or another way you could say it is that we're too powerful to remain as unwise as we are. Um, and, and then he seems to be saying... And I, this is almost more of an implication than something he said, but that we need to consult our unconscious and we need to consult these deep symbols and archetypes that are there. Um, and that will somehow be the route to attaining wisdom. Yeah, it's it's just beyond my ability to comprehend what he's saying there. But I do want to like make the you know the counterpoint about that's the argument that we have. We have nuclear weapons. We've created these man-made toxins. We're we're in the process of creating global warming. Like we are just the biggest threat to ourselves. I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that. I think we do pose the biggest threat to ourselves. But I'm really influenced by David Deutsch's book, The Beginning of an Affinity where he, he talks about, well, we just need knowledge. That's the only way to uh, ensure our survivability. Like we can't just rely on like knowing ourselves and being content. This is not really what David Deutsch would say, but mm. he's like one way that you might figure out that there's intelligent life on a planet far away is if you can notice that there's an asteroid heading for it and then it suddenly gets diverted quite outside of the normal forces of gravity, which would perhaps you can infer that that whatever's on that planet caused that diversion in the same way. Like you can have global warming from natural causes. You can have Yellowstone in, in North America erupt or all of the volcanoes erupting simultaneously such that you have this massive global warming, like let alone the asteroid or just the pandemics, right? What if there was a real serious pandemic that was just killed 99% of people? Like, I, I don't know if that's possible. I don't know why it wouldn't necessarily be, um, but something that was airborne, that was just spread around naturally, um, could just wipe us out. So there's something about, I actually prefer the hands of power to be in other human beings, no matter how scary they might be to me, at least they're still human beings, as opposed mm. to nature itself, which is chaotic, 
It doesn't have right. the interests of humanity in mind. It doesn't care about my suffering. Uh, so even if we create new powers that can destroy us, we're also hedging against nature itself. That seems important to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think, I think that would be hard to argue against that. Uh, yeah. What, what's the alternative is I think what sort of your argument, you know, is the alternative just to, you know, forget all of our power and, and trade our sort of suicidal existential risks for asteroid type existential risks. Um, I don't think that's wise. That doesn't make any sense. Um, but I still get the sense that, I mean, let me let me ask if you would just agree with this idea in general. Would you agree that our power is growing way faster than our wisdom? I think so. Yeah, I, I, I certainly, yeah, that's not, a, um, it is a problem and I, don't, I actually don't know how to solve it. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, and I think, I mean, it's it's a big problem, and I and it just yeah, it seems like Jung is saying, and it's almost one of these things he says without proving, and yet I'm inclined to believe him, or trust. I guess it's more about trust in a way, but he's saying yeah, we need to consult our unconscious and our and these archetypes, um, societally, uh, to to address that. Yeah, I, I don't know. Do you do you believe that? Do you trust that statement just on its face without, I mean, just on your gut or what's your first impression? I, tr I believe it or think that it's true based on like similar thoughts that I've been having in the last few years. And I think many people have, which is whatever the answers are, I think it'll come from, from myself. Hmm. Like, I don't think I will ever satisfy my problems with the external world. As soon as you solve one pain point, another one arises or 10 arise. Mm -hmm. Like whatever, whatever will make me content forever, which even that is probably impossible. It's going to come from myself. So I don't know if that, I, I think I, the, what Jung is saying here feels like a part, a portion of the answer is like, I will have, things going on in my psyche that I need to pay attention to and symbols might be the right lens to interpret what my unconscious is communicating to me. I feel like mm -hmm. that's a part. Maybe it's actually a bigger part than I think. Maybe it is a larger answer. I'm open to that as well. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm open to it, even though it is a bit vague. Right, right. Yeah, good as play, uh, it's as good a place as any to look and maybe even better at the least, mm -hmm. right? For sure. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. Okay. I think uh, I'm pretty good with this. I can move on to dreams. I, I don't think we fully got into everything, but uh, I'm pretty satisfied with what we did get into. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty good to move on, um, but I'm disappointing again, and I don't have a dream this week. And, you know, uh, the worst part is I know I had some good ones, and then I... I all I remember is like thinking and doing a half asleep dream analysis, which was probably uh, like, I can't even actually trust that because I know I wasn't all the way awake. And like, you know, sometimes huh. you wake up half dreaming and then you're thinking weird things. And it's only like a few minutes later that you realize you were still kind of dreaming and you still actually weren't really making sense. So, yeah, I mean, I, I woke up and I and I had this feeling like I had had a dream 
Well, I remember analyzing it and deciding, ah, that must mean that I'm taking charge of my life. But I don't remember the dream. And so I can't even trust that analysis, actually, because I could have been still half asleep and just kind of thinking slightly random stuff. So hmm. so I failed to even turn in an assignment this week. So, you know, what the, how's that going to affect my... Well, that's fair. Yeah. Well, it's not even F like an F, fair. like a 59. Like, it's a zero. Right. So that's going to be really it's bad for your overall grade. Damn, <laughs> <Yeah>, dude. <laughs> That's brutal. Okay, well, can't argue with that. Yeah, this I this week I actually had two dreams that were quite. Um, I'm feeling like, and I think even you're suggesting that you're paying more attention to your dreams, or they're having a bigger impact on you, even if you're not, if they're not getting to consciousness to where you can describe it to me in a mm. podcast. Like they must be having some effect on you. That's good, I think, and yeah. that's that's how I feel. I and I. I'm remembering them a little more, although it is really hard to get to that final point of capturing them on paper so that you yeah. don't have to remember them because if we still haven't, why are they so slippery? Why are they so easy yeah. to forget no matter how shocking they are? Like some of the dreams you can have, if you experience them in real life would give you PTSD. I think we talked about, but otherwise it's fine. Anyways, I'll just jump into my dream this week. So here it is. I am exercising with a group of men. There is a female instructor. She has given us a complex exercise which involves a series of yoga poses. When we finish the exercise, we will then move our mats forward and repeat the process. Sort of a race where we're trying to get to a certain point by completing this process and moving our mats. I was confused about the exercises. I wasn't doing the poses correctly. Uh, I was completely forgetting the proper sequence and I was falling behind. Large spiders the size of my big toe started started um, covering the floor. I stopped exercising to kill one. I wanted to kill off I wanted to kill it off the mat so that the mat wouldn't be covered in spider guts. And as I killed the spider, I was worried about its sharp sharp spindly legs. I strongly wanted to avoid those legs. And the dream ended as I was killing the spider. Hmm. Okay. So I think uh, it's kind of a con I've been thinking about this dream a lot. Um, I felt like, you know, I was competing with men for a woman. You know, that's sort of maybe mm. kind of, it's not a clear theme in my life right now, but it's always kind of generally true is we're all trying to be better than each other, right? Some mm. would argue that the deepest motivation for like something that explains our behavior is is sex. We just want to have sex. Like that's the deepest biological imperative mm. and everything we do is is motivated by that i think partly something there is something is important there to me there about what i'm trying to do to get mm. sex although i'm not entirely sure um the spiders i i think that's a powerful symbol of the spider and i, I had this one thought that i'm kind of uncomfortable sharing uh but just for the sake of of putting it all out there um the spiders that i was killing that were annoying me they they kind of felt to me like people and mm. like they were symbolizing people that i found it kind of irritating or terrifying um and and you know killing them on the mat i didn't want to do that because that leaves guts and just like when you are sort of ruthless to another person there's sort of a kind of emotional fallout from that like wait am i an asshole am i this huge scumbag for what i did in that moment that felt right uh and that could mean like 
sometimes I'll argue against people that are arguing for something like a liberal idea, like something better treatment for the homeless. Um, and I can't, you know, playing the devil's advocate. I'm like, well, if you do that, then you create incentives for people to be homeless. And I, I can't help but feel like a jerk, but I can't help but feel like I'm saying something that's true. And, you know, I don't have it resolved. I don't know if that's what the spiders really are. That's just mm. kind of what I was thinking about when I was thinking of them as a symbol, like my discomfort with, with killing spiders. Um, uh, that, that's about all. What do, what do you think? Yeah, that's that's interesting. And I, I would also, I, you know, so the dream starts with um, you're in a room competing with other men and then and then and then the spiders come so it sort of lines up in that way with with what you just said because because th there's the continuity that that maybe is there is that you're dealing with these other uh well these other people i suppose and so it would make sense you know if that's really what is is influencing this dream that it would manifest you know at first as other people that you're competing with and then and then maybe maybe as as your anxiety changed or something it, it would change to spiders and so i don't know that that makes me want that makes me want to sort of put more stock into your interpretation because there's that you could sort of call that continuity um, mm. Mm. yeah that's the only addition i could i could add to your uh your interpretation but that's a, it's an interesting one i think it's a pretty um I want to say like skillful interpretation too which i'm almost mm. like feel weird about saying but it's for some reason um but yeah i, I like it let me give that an a i'm gonna give it a solid a oh, not so yeah. much for the dream but just for like the 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 interpretation of it i think it's quite good thanks yeah i thought i thought, thought, thought about this one more than any other dream that i've had it, and it not even like it was hard to do it just kind of was sticking in my head in the immediate aftermath days afterwards i was thinking about it hmm. and uh so that's kind of the you know that summary is the process of a lot of thinking and, and effort yeah um yeah that's cool okay well maybe we can uh sign off see you guys next week i think we talked about next week doing a summary of all of the jung chapters this was the last chapter by Jung specifically, then it's other writers, probably edited by Jung. So, you know, you still have his guidance there, but it is kind yeah. of a shame that we're finally getting on away from him. Right. Right. Well, let's talk about it more because this, this chapter was sort of a summary. I think we'll have to just go over the material and see if there are larger things to talk about. Um, and then we still have to decide if we want to continue with the rest of the book as well, because we've been sort of playing with the idea of moving on to something else after this uh, section. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. But uh, in any case, we'll have something next week, that's for sure. Uh, and we'll see you guys there.